you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The Around the NFL podcast takes no responsibility for takes generated in the lab. (laughs) Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, coming to you from a virtual room filled with heroes, Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal, and yes, the great Chris Wessling. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. He's week back. Six. Wes, we missed you last week, buddy. But um, you look good right now. How do you? How do you feel? Oh, it's night and day compared to where I was last week. Um, I have been in this stage for a while, for a couple of months, where. As long as I could take my three or four baths a day and night, as you guys are well aware. Oh, yeah. You know, I could I could keep the pain away for a while and stay on top of it and get through my days. And then right about when I was starting radiation, and the radiation begins to tear down um, the cancer cells and they're swelling, um, it, got, it reached a new level where I couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, couldn't think about anything but pain, and it was dominating my life, so... Um, I had to go into the hospital, get that under control, and uh, got out Friday afternoon. And it's been it's been night and day. It's been like the pain is almost non-existent now, uh, which yeah. means to me, it's not just that the new pain meds are working; it's that the radiation's working, and it's it's gone into um, into the bones, and it has smashed some of that cancer that has been feasting on my bones, weakening my bones, and putting pressure on my nerves. So the radiation is doing its job, which is a more permanent thing than pain meds to me. Hmm. That's, That's great. great. Yeah. That is legitimate progress, and I, and we could hear it in your voice. There's that level of enthusiasm uh, that you've already beat this thing once. Maybe West turn in the corner again. Momentum. It's a thing. Yes best no? win, best win of week six. You know, get <laughs> well, is there yeah. is there momentum in big C battles, West? <laughs> I've experienced momentum and exists. I think anyone who's experienced momentum knows it exists. There you I go. do have like one quick question for you, West. Like, and, and I know maybe the bath time 
allotment is a little lower if you're feeling more comfort. But were there certain baths where maybe Lakeisha would come in and just sort of sit, you know, uh, on the ledge of the toilet or the ledge of the the bathtub to to hang out with you and just converse with you, or was that was it was that alone time for you mostly? You like Kermit the Frog bump on a log sitting there. You know, you like you you put the toilet seat down, you just sit there and hang out and like talk to the person, and you're in the tub doing Look, your thing. So, some of these marathon bath sessions were going on for like four hours, so <laughs> plenty of time for for everything. You know, run the Darn. gamut. All right, Wes just sinks into the tub with the bubbles up to his chin and. Takes a deep breath and goes, I deserve this. <laughs> there were some wonderful baths. I have it down to a science now. Um, all right. That's great. Well put, Greg. The biggest win of week six is Wes is with us and feeling good uh, and is on a winning streak in the big C fight. Uh, and we are going to get to the rest of week six, which is inconsequential in relation to Wes. But we're going to talk about it anyway because that's our job. That's what we do around here. We talked about all the games, and we had a full slate of Sunday action. Uh, no uh, COVID issues, thank goodness, uh, especially in the early uh, window. A ton of football to talk about. So let's dig in and let us start with one of the best games of the year, a back-and-forth affair between AFC South rivals. It's the King Cat. Henry running to the left, into the end zone. <laughs> Touchdown, Tyke Hell! Ooh, that's a great call to start us off from, of course, Mike Keith and a highly elated Dave McGinnis of WGFX. Derek Henry finally busted out in 2020, and he did so in horrifying fashion. If you're a Texans fan, uh, the NFL's reigning rushing champ took the direct snap and plowed into the end zone to clinch a 42-36 overtime win. Henry also had a 94-yard touchdown run earlier in the game. Stiff, um, stiff arming another defender into the abyss in the process. Wes, listen, everything's coming up west this weekend. <laughs> you grab this game uh, to focus on, and uh, wow, what a, what a treat it was. Yeah, there were a lot of big drama swings in this one, and, and it started out the first three quarters before uh, Taylor Lewan, Titans left tackle, went down, and Johnny Smith went down in the third quarter. Mm. Goskowski had some trouble with missed kicks. Until then, it, this was this was big brother versus little brother, and I, I just kept thinking, this is how do you, this is how you play the lock game, Connie Fox. Yeah. You find you find a team that doesn't belong on the same competitive playing field with the other and take advantage because you cannot expect the Houston Texans to come onto the same field with these Titans, a well coached, mature, sophisticated team with an identity. Um, and I think that analysis is on point until same thing happened as last year in the Bills playoff game. JJ Watt makes a game-changing play. Strip sack taking advantage of Ty Sombrello being in for Taylor Lewan left tackle. Really changed the game. Uh, and Deshaun Watson, two fantastic games back-to-back now. He was on top of his game again today. Um, and just like he led the team back against the Bills in the playoffs, you just have those two super-duper stars that you can't, can't count out. And the rest of this team is just frankly not very good. Hmm. Uh, where do you put this like Titans offense? You're watching. You're doing the QB index every week. Tannehill's numbers are bananas. They they put up 611 yards today. 
I mean, that is outrageous. 601 <laughs> yards today on 70 plays. So they averaged 8.6 yards per play despite having 70 plays. And it wasn't one of those games, okay, I went to look to see, well, maybe they had 14 or 15 drives, which is a big number. It's like, nope, 11 drives, uh, not that much, especially for overtime. Like, where do you put this Titans offense? And they got uh, Humphreys back from the COVID list today, Wes, in, in Tannehill, kind of in the NFL hierarchy. Yeah, they're right behind, like, the Chiefs in that group. I mean, you take the elite of the elite, and, and the Titans are just, like, a little bit behind, and that's going on 16, 17 games now. Um, they they were a little bit slow out of the gates maybe this year, but the last few weeks they've mm-hmm. been on point. And, and Tannehill's MVP candidacy is going to be a split vote with Henry. That's the way it should be because Henry is that valuable. But Tannehill's playing at an MVP level, and, wow. and he keeps coming down after down. You can't keep him out of a game. He's always coming back in the fourth quarter. Um, he's doing this without Corey Davis. They had some more injuries. And I do think this game ended up closer than it should have been because the Titans are not at full strength. They've got some COVID issues still. Um, they've got some kicking game issues. Their cornerbacks are banged up and can be easily beaten like they were today. And they have the fewest sacks in the NFL, I believe. They don't have a pass rush. Hmm. I would just I'd point to the way that you know John Robinson handled – the contract situation for Henry and Tannehill in the offseason, that was draped with questions of how could either one of them duplicate what they've done. And it feels like a lot of it in the identity of the attack boils down to, and Dan, I know you find his name to be rather milquetoast, as you all always mentioned, but Arthur Smith is basically uh, you know, authoring a stellar resume to become someone's head coach about three months from now. Speedy delivery, I call him now. <laughs> well, he's He's Bizarro Gase right now. Everyone has their, everyone reaches their ceiling. Everyone fully develops under him. Mm. Derrick Henry goes from tease to rushing champ. Tannehill goes to franchise quarterback. Their role players are phenomenal. Anthony Ferkser had a great game today. And, and when Johnny Smith goes down, you need that to happen. This team, no matter who they plug in there, he knows how to put guys in key roles. They're undefeated. And yet they, you know, four of these games came down to total wild endings. So they're they're doing it, you know, they're doing it with offense, which I trust, but you know, they they want to have more games like that Bills game and not four four of these which have just been crazy games. <laughs> Titans Titans are a good first draft pick when you're when we're picking games cuz most of their games are awesome. Can't wait to uh watch this game on Game Pass. I had an eye on it because you saw what was happening going back and forth and eventually was able to switch over. It's incredible week after week, I'm saying it every week now, but it's continuing, that how great the Titans are in the red zone. I believe they actually at one point had 10 straight trips inside the 20 covering the last uh, five weeks where they uh, had scored a touchdown and that carried over into this game. Uh, What do you guys think about uh, Romeo Cornell's decision? They score the touchdown uh, to go up 36 to 29 with a minute 50 remaining. That's a seven point lead. He elects to go for two, uh, which would have made it a two score game, obviously, and effectively ends the game. However, they don't convert, stays at seven, which means when the Titans get the ball back and inevitably, inevitably, West score on an AJ Brown seven yard catch with four seconds remaining. All they need is the point after to tie it. It was aggressive. I don't know what the new age analytics say about it, but it seemed a little overly aggressive in that mm. spot. Thought it lacked common sense. I mean, it just lacked all common sense. Why, why put 
Why, why give the uh, conk to the other team? Try to Keep win the game. Yourself. Try to win the game with your best player instead of letting Guskowski go kick another one. That that's not a lock that he hits the extra point. First of all, as the way you mentioned, and I like giving yourself chan- extra chances to win the game. That wins the game with Deshaun Watson, and then your defense has a chance to go win the game. You know, in regulation yeah. or overtime. It's about common sense. You make them score and get the two point conversion just to take you out of the game. It's about avoiding a loss. It's just as much as it is going and getting that win. It seems like sometimes if you're the interim coach, if you're Romeo Cornell, these decisions don't stick to you the same way. You're sort of like the substitute teacher. But I didn't. I didn't like it in that situation. I know some analytics heads uh, would, but you know Jeffrey Simmons, nice, nice job getting the hand up in the air and knocking that pass down. Analytics heads. There. He he had a big third down sack on uh, Watson right before then too. All right, uh, so that was a thriller in the early slate. Only two late games, and one of them uh, was a top NFC matchup that everybody was zoned in on because the Jets were involved with the other game. Uh, But this one did not turn out uh, as competitive as we imagined. Let's check it out. Rodgers takes the snap, third and ten, drops, pressure coming against the pass. It's intercepted, picked off down the sideline, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown Tampa Bay! Touchdown Buccaneers, Jamal Dean! First turnover of the season by the Pack, and it's a pick six. Woo-wee! Gene Deckerhoff, WFUS with the call. The Bulls Assance. You know, I saw a tweet today, and my tweet I could flash real quick because so many messages are coming. It was like, the Bulls Assance is real. And I'm like, oh, good for Greg. Not only uh, is Bulls and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers having a big day, now other people are tweeting about no. it. It's, it's getting gaining some steam. I go to check it out. It was Greg's tweet. <laughs> with, with very little uh, interaction. No one cares about the Bulls Assance. Well, you know what? Take the lap, though, Greg. You might have been a little early on it, but now it's right on time because uh, Jamal Dean swung momentum with the second quarter pick six of Aaron Rodgers and the Bucks never let up after that 38-10 win over the previously undefeated Packers Tom Brady uh, threw multiple touchdown passes including his first po- post-Pats TD connection with Rob Gronkowski and uh, boys this was once you got out of the first quarter this was complete domination on both sides of the ball by the Bucks. And another pronouncement by the Bucks that they're a legit contender in the wide open NFC. And, you know, we talked about it. Uh, they lost uh, Vita Vea last week. And what would that mean uh, to their front seven and the importance that he has there? Uh, well, this, they showed off their depth and ability to adapt um, because really the Packers had no answers. And Aaron Rodgers was pressured this entire game and making mistakes and never able to get anything going. So the defense just balled out in a big spot, and then the offense uh, just cruised along. And it was just, like I said, a total package victory for the Bucks, who really have announced themselves in a wide-open NFC as a legit, legit contender. Yeah, I love these defensive backs. Like I think their defense starts at linebacker. Uh, with with Devin White and Levante David, like they they set the tone. White g- keeps getting better and better, and Levante David doesn't age. Like he is still playing at that level. So to me, that's sort of where it comes from. But because of Bowles, you know, schemes it up uh, well, where they know pressure is going to get there a lot of the times. These defensive backs are so aggressive, and we've we've been talking about it now for a while. And I think people are realizing, like Jamel Dean. Okay, gave up a big play, I think, a week ago. He's top five in PFF right now. Carlton Davis is the guy actually gets a little more love from the Bucks coaches as their shutdown guy. Winfield looks like his dad. 
Uh, Murphy Bunting's good. And you add it up, there's no difference making defenses left anymore. Like, it's them, it's the Bears, like, it's a, it's the Steelers. That's about it. And what a great place for Brady to choose to go to. The O-line is awesome, and the defense is awesome. He can win a game, you know, 38-10 to 10 with 166 yards passing. Like, that. It, he, he chose amazingly well. Well, and they just squeezed the life out of Green Bay, and we hadn't seen anything like that for an offense that was so entirely on fire. They had five yards in the second quarter, which is the lowest yardage output in any quarter in the Rodgers era. And you go back and you look at this possession chart. In consecutive drives, the Packers had zero yards, seven, zero, negative four, two, and five. And that was like... Over That was like two-thirds of the game right there. And when David Bakhtiari went out with the chest injury, you got to look at what they can do and what how when you put pressure on Aaron Rodgers, he'd only been sacked three times all year, and that doubled today, and it looked like it. And and suddenly it's like it's an altering, it's a mind-altering win for for the Bucks because you're thinking about the Packers differently, completely differently than we did on Friday. I thought Green Bay was gonna was gonna handle this game with ease, way off on Mm. that one. Wes, I know you had the Packers as your lock of the week. Look, this is on me. I um, I overestimated the Packers' offense, which um, have been at times almost impeccable despite a few drops and mistakes. But the way they were humming, I mean, mowing down franchise records, uh, setting, setting paces that they hadn't set before, and doing it as the number one offense in the NFL – and disrespecting a Bucks defense, which Greg outlined pretty thoroughly here, level by level. Fantastic secondary, Carlton Davis. The linebacker play is on fire. Um, just to dominate one of those special offenses that looked like it was, you know, like the 2015, 16 or whatever Falcons offense that has one of those years um, and dismantle it like that. What, what a performance by the Bucks. Rodgers was on tilt. We haven't we haven't seen this in a while. I wouldn't expect it to see it very often. Um, but whether it was, you know, the pick six, he's not used to that, and then Carlton Davis makes up another play, so suddenly it's two interceptions in a row. He's getting sacked. He hadn't been sacked all year. Uh, but he was doing things that you don't see. I mean, he had Mercedes Lewis wide open for a big play, misses that. He takes a delay a game at one point. It, it just was... He he's, he seemed scrambled. Whether it was Bowles or his own play or whatever it was, he he was in a hole and he couldn't get I mean, out. He had two pick sixes in his first 6,214 career attempts. Then he threw a third today, and then he threw a pick you know soon after. So it was a it was a legit meltdown. And you know Fox was dying because they were like, look at our luck. <laughs> we went from there was supposed to be four late games, and then COVID madness knocked it down <laughs> to two, and nobody was watching Jets Dolphins. Well, uh, someone the, was. The, I, I can report to you. <laughs> okay, we'll get to that. Uh, for to end with uh, a Gabbert Coyle showdown, Boyle Boyle showdown in the final five minutes of game time. That that hurts. Troy and Buck were bumming, but that's that's the way it goes. But how about Gronk? How about Gronk making a play or two? Get the old man. The old man. How about Tom Brady and Gronk looking great while the Patriots' offense goes up in flames up there in Foxborough? Not great. We'll get that and, too. And um, people will spend weeks. People will spend weeks, you know, there'll be weeks when they slump this Bucks offense. A lot of things have to go perfectly for them. But hats off to them. Just in the year 2020, we get, like, Brady outplaying Rodgers and Gronk, like, coming off the mat, resuming his career, and just an impeccable connection <laughs> at good. several times in this game. You look good hats today. off to those guys for staying relevant. And the bearded boy said after the game that he does not believe 
David Bakhtiari's uh, chest injury is a long-term concern. That's a star left mm. tackle of the Packers. Uh, so that is one silver lining in this game. Bakhtiari went out early. Uh, let's move on. A measuring stick game for Mark Sessler's Browns. Mayfield shotgun snap, throws over the middle, intercepted. It is Minka Fitzpatrick. 25, 20, 15, 10, touchdown, Minka. People have been asking, where's Minka Fitzpatrick? Baker Mayfield just found out. <laughs> oh, Bill Hillgrove. That's good. Body Hillgrove. blow. WDVE. Big, oh, there's the Sheck music. Oh, I'm sure Sheck was unbearable today, Cecil. <laughs> Big know, brother yeah. still reigns. The Steelers bullied the Browns from start to finish on Sunday at Heinz Field, dominating in a 38-7 win. Baker Mayfield watched the end of the game from the sideline, benched by Browns coach Kevin Stefanski after an ineffective performance. Uh, here's what Stefanski had to say about his decision to sit Mayfield in the second half. No, I just I didn't want to see him get hit one more time, and that's uh, I put that on myself. Uh, went into this game knowing we had to keep him clean, and we didn't do a good enough job. So that that starts with me, obviously. And he's a very very tough player, and and uh, I know he wants to fight, but it's a long season. We got a game next week, and I didn't feel like it was the right thing to put him back out there. Mark uh, Mayfield's going to get killed this week um, uh, for his struggles, uh, but perhaps more credit is due to the Steelers' defense, which put it together and showed you again how scary they can be when both sides of the ball are uh, humming. Right. This game is is more about Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh emerging as a team to be taken very seriously. I mean, I think we we took them seriously beforehand, but, you know, they went out and said, we're going to teach you, Cleveland Browns, where your ceiling is right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Ravens taught that lesson a month ago, so I think we kind of forget about that a little bit or think maybe they grew out of that. Um, you guys know that when I watch these Browns games, I, it's not um, completely unusual for me, even a minute or two in, to say I know I know this game is going totally south. And I picked that picked that Minka Fitzpatrick uh, play because you knew it was over. I mean, the energy around Cleveland's offense was grisly out of the gate, and it had everything to do with Pittsburgh. Um, they put tremendous heat on Baker Mayfield, who came into this game banged up. And I, I think it was, you know, A, a benching for just get him out of there. He was not effective on any level today. Uh, they reduced him to salt the same way that Bill Belichick has done to rookie quarterbacks for so long. Uh, Mayfield looked lost. Case Keenum came in and looked lost. Mayfield was banged up. I give this um, this. Steelers team incredible credit because you talked about one of these defenses that can make a legit difference and and completely take an opposing offense that's been on fire and make it look sophomoric like it's like they're still figuring out what they were doing and Pittsburgh's pass rush um completely confused one of the better offensive lines. I know Wyatt Teller was out for Cleveland, but Cleveland, you know, we saw, oh, what, are they going to be a run-heavy team? Well, they couldn't run. They couldn't get any sort of flow in this game from any at all. And Big Ben, uh, you know, you've got guys like Chase Claypool, and we all know at this point that, like, he is, to me, their number one receiver. I mean, he, and they're calling him, for good reasons, Mapletron, because he, Pretty good. he look, he's from Canada. He looks like Megatron. Uh, he looks like a lot of players from the past where you're thinking, this could have been a tight end in a different era, but he's simply too freaky to almost categorize. Uh, and they had a lot of tape on him after last week and couldn't do anything to stop it. And I, I watched someone like Joel Batonio, who is one of the more rugged, reliable left guards in the NFL, 
get handled by Cam Hayward. They just mm. did not. They did not show up to this game on any level. Now, look, they're really banged up. I mean, Kareem Hunt was not healthy. Baker was not healthy. You can list it up and down. Jarvis Landry, I don't really care. I think had they all been healthy, this is still the Pittsburgh Steelers telling the Cleveland Browns, you're improved. You're mo- you moved up a tier or two, but there are various other tiers. And in pro football, and especially in the AFC North, if you suddenly want to th- you know, hopscotch some of these perennial winners, these organizations that have been forged over decades of success, it's going to take a long time. This was a stepping stone game. The stone got lifted off the garden and thrown over the fence, and it landed through the neighbor's window. They aren't there yet. Long way to go. <laughs> you know, Mike Tomlin has a way with words, and he said after the game, we were varsity today pretty much across the board, and Thought that was well put, Ooh. you know. Yes, it putting was. Them, putting them on the <laughs> JV team as as the uh, the basement of the AFC North compared to the Steelers, a team which easy to forget had gone a league high twenty three straight games um, without scoring thirty points until the last two weeks. Wow, the Steelers are now seventeen and zero at home versus the Browns since drafting Ben Roethlisberger in two thousand four. It's been since. Uh, week 5, 2003, a 33-13 Cleveland win uh, that they got it done with Big Ben in the lineup. And, yeah, the I think the other thing that people are going to be talking about, Mark, and we can get to this later in the week, but four-game winning streak for the Browns this season, sandwiched by a 38-6 loss to the Ravens in Week 1, now 38-7 to the Steelers in Week 6. There are going to be questions about who are the Browns. Yeah, and I think you could you could also look at who who that four game winning streak came against. We learn more about the Cowboys in the weeks later. So I I just think they're one of these. And frankly, like the thing that's most haunting to me is there's no team that annoys me more in the NFL than teams that are kind of like nine and seven operations that I don't believe in by like early November. And I don't want that <laughs> you to hate be Cleveland. Those teams. This is a step up, <laughs> but but it's time for anyone that was you know running their mouth on the from the Brown side of things um, to go silent. And and you, I just so that my words aren't um, misconstrued. I said that you asked if Damashek was annoying, and I didn't get to finish my comment. He wasn't at all. In fact, I visited a show last week, and he was quite a gentleman about the whole thing, but I get off of Twitter on days like this. I don't want to deal mm. with anyone because it's like, you're right, Dan, like it, when you're Baker Mayfield and you create this environment around you, the, the persona, you're going to suffer broadly in the following week after a loss like this. Well, they haven't proven that they can throw the ball with any consistently, any consistency. Right. And so it's hard to win as many games as you want if you're not a great passing team and you're not a great pass defense. I mean, it's a pass, passing league. The, the only time OBJ has a big game is when Jarvis Landry's throwing him the ball and they're cooking up, you know, running, uh, running rushing yards. Yeah, when so, I take him out of my fantasy lineup, that's when he has his big game. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what's happening. So I just think they're, you're going to lose a level of – you're not going to have a lot of margin for error until they prove that they can be a, a more consistent passing game. Steelers are awesome. They are yeah, awesome. They are. Yeah, Yep. I think that's a They Super lose Bowl Devin team. Bush today. That's pretty big. Yeah, He's for the season. Note. Yep, that's that, that was a big loss. Torres ACL. Uh, so they'll have to uh, adapt there. He's a big part of the middle of their defense. Uh, but you get the feeling the Steelers could pull it off. Well-run organization over there. All right, let's move on. The game snap is back. Here comes pressure up the middle. He throws, and it is intercepted. DeAndre Houston Carson. Are you kidding me? Two weeks in a row. He's come up with a big play, and he threw it right to DHC. Wow. Jeff Joniak, WBBM. Come on, everybody. Let's do it all at the same time. 
It's time to give the Bears some respect. Just a bit. I don't. You need. They don't need to be a Super Bowl team in your eyes. Just give them a little respect. Give their defense respect. All right. Part of the team. Teddy Bridgewater never got comfortable against consistent pressure from Chicago's front four, and Nick Foles and the offense did just enough. That's what they've been doing. 23-16 win over the Panthers in Charlotte. Carolina's three-game winning streak is kaput, and the Bears are 5-1. and one. The Bears are 5-1. and one. Mark, are you going to show some love to the monsters of the midway? I am. I am. I don't have to. I, I don't have to look like half of their team, their offense. Uh, and if you look at the box score and you simply looked at the half that Chicago offered, you'd think they probably lost this game because they're just not a team that jumps out on you um, for, on offense at all. But they made Teddy Bridgewater, who I think has been, you know, embroiled in one of his best seasons, if not, I think flat, flat out his best embroiled. season up till now. Huh? <laughs> embroiled in his Is best season. Is that embroiled? Season. Well, that's yeah. That's wavy sounds, with energy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm embroiled, maybe not the right word there, but he they made him uncomfortable. And and so this is a you know, here we are. We're talking about the third of those maybe defenses in the NFL that are legit and you know, they did it to the Bucks. Uh you know, it seems like a long time ago, but that was their last game. That was a legit win and they did it today and I, I do think this Panthers team has been flashy on offense. They made a few plays today, but they they opened the game with the interception. They closed it with a Teddy Bridgewater interception. And right in the middle, Mike Davis, who's been really tough, had a killer fumble. And they just couldn't quite get their act together. And Chicago, to me, I mean, this... This team, I don't need to buy the record. It doesn't matter. Like, they're going to win games like this. This was their dream script. They want to win games 21 to 18. And they, they kind of ran into the right opponent, I think, today. And, and I don't know. I, the, I guess this, this is one of those days where my real team lost. Um, my fantasy team, which I'll never mention again because nobody cares, got its <laughs> ass kicked. And my lock here, the Panthers, after showing so much oh. faith, um, I think I overextended a little bit. They got a long way to go. Uh, I don't know what else to say this, but this game is not going to fly off the field on Game Pass for you. But the Bears' defense, um, I think they're better than they were last year. I mean, Tom Petty said it, Mark. Tom Petty said it. Some days are diamonds. Some days are rocks. Yeah, I, I basically am going to eat a dinner of a plate of rocks tonight, which that's what I'll be eating (laughs) for dinner. How about a little love for Chuck Strong? Um, you know, Wes having a big weekend. Chuck Pagano, when, when's the last time we mentioned his name? I thought after Vic they Fangio, right? Uh, when when Vic Fangio went to Denver, we thought this defense was going to really decline. And you know what? They did last year. They were still good, but they weren't you know otherworldly. This year, where on paper I don't think they quite a, you know I'm not sure the personnel. Is all there? Robert Quinn has not given them that much, including in this game, at least according to the box score. And yet he's cooking up. You're seeing a more creativity. And your old boy, Barkevius Mingo's got four and a half quarterback hits in this game. You know the defensive coordinator and the team defense is playing well when Mingo is flying off the box score, Mark Sessler. <laughs> we I talk- agree with you. We talked about this entering the season. Like The only way the Bears truly contend, and it's not like we were like – somehow ahead of the curve. I think a lot of people saw this. The only way they really contend and, and win games is if, if their defense returns to being that kind of force that makes quarterbacks uncomfortable and turns the ball over and gives the offense short fields. That's what's happened so far, and, and they needed their stars on defense to play that way. Khalil Mack, 
uh, has three sacks in the last two games. Uh, he's at four and a half on the year. Rickon Smith, he leads the team in tackles and tackles for loss. Uh, they're getting impact plays from the guys they needed from, which wasn't always the case last year, and they had injuries as well last year. So th- that's a difference. And I don't know, the Nick Foles, Mitch Trubisky thing, is there a huge difference there in play? I don't. I don't know. It doesn't seem that you way. You know what? No, you know but, what the difference is a little bit. I think this defense allows Nick Foles to work himself out of the little funks he gets into in games. And I don't know what more you can ask from Nick Foles than to at some point string together like two scoring drives and get out of these things with a win. And it was able for more to than four point one yards per play out of this oh, offense. I mean, you're not going to go that far. Doing like I that. said, if you look at their half of the box score, you would have thought they got thumped. Um, I will say one little one little thing for the Panthers. Derek Brown, first round pick, is he's showing up game after game now. I, I like. I think they've they've found something with this. Their defense is just really young, and there are moments where you know I, I don't trust them to to close the deal. Uh, let's head to the former throne of ease. See if Denver brings some pressure. They do. Safety blitz on the way. Newton in the pocket. Hit as he throws. Loads it up, and it's incomplete. Denver's defense with a huge stop. Ooh, I like this. Anyway, Dave Logan. Tyler Moore. <laughs> it is. It's got a little bit of a variety show from 1973 flair to it. Dave Logan, KOA with the call. Yes, the Broncos defense put the clamps on Cam Newton, and they got a final fourth down stop to seal an 18-12. Is that a Jumanji win or whatever they call it? Origami? Scorigami? I-, I do not know, but I would imagine 18-12 is not... It's in play. 18-12 win over the Patriots in Foxborough. That's two straight wins for Denver, separated by 17 days due to COVID-19 issues. For the Pats, um, hmm, what do you take from this game? Uh, Well, the Patriots, they hadn't practiced much at all in the past two weeks as they dealt with the coronavirus. And uh, I guess it could be an excuse to say that's why they were rusty or didn't play well in this game because we saw – what the Titans have done over the last six days, piling up points and looking like a smooth machine in two wins. Uh, but they managed just 188 total yards, three tur- three turnovers. Cam had a pair of interceptions uh, in his return uh, from the COVID-19 list. And I'll give the New England defense, defense credit. They kept the Broncos out of the end zone. Uh, but the problem is, the Broncos have the best kicker in the league, not named Justin Tucker, Brandon McManus, who hit six field goals hey now. for their 18 points. Uh, and when Drew Locke almost threw the Patriots, or he did, he threw the Patriots back into the game with two late interceptions, which I put a little bit uh, on the game uh, script or the play calling as much as I put it on Locke for why they haven't this kid throw the ball downfield when he could just run out the clock with a little bit more conservative gameplay. They still managed to get the stop. And, Greg, I, I don't know if you had a chance to watch this game at all, but I thought it was telling that once it got to 18-12, it was 18-3, they get the touchdown, they get a field goal, and now they're within striking distance to steal a win here in kind of classic Patriots fashion, um, or at least the old Patriots, after a game in which Cam is unable to get anything going, his receivers aren't getting separation, you see Josh McDaniels start going to his bag of tricks and taking out these special plays and these trick plays to try to get down the field for that game-winning touchdown. 
and it didn't work out on a fourth down. Newton uh, airmail, airmailed the throw. So that kind of was a bit of a, I don't want to call it a La Ravio Magnifico, but it was, I thought, a, maybe a statement about where McDaniels feels about this offense right now and its ability to just go down the field and win a game. Well, what there isn't much offense other than the running game, and in this game, that was basically just Cam Newton. Now, they've, they've been very O-line dependent, and, uh, you know, they lost another starter there today during the game, Illuminor. And, uh, you know, Tooney's playing center and had a snap over Cam Newton's head. Uh, but why would you have any faith that you could throw the ball when you haven't you haven't done it much all season? You did for the Seattle game, and then you certainly weren't today. I mean, their leading receivers today is James White, you know, on the dump-offs. And then it's Demir Bird and uh, Ryan Izzo, who got hurt during the game. I mean, it, it's rough. And that last play that you mentioned... Uh, to me, it was telling because I think you could read between the lines of what Cam Newton said after the game, and it's it's one of those option routes where the quarterback and the receiver has to see it at the same time, and, okay. and Nikhil Harry doesn't read the coverage uh, the right way. Essentially, Cam Newton didn't say that, but you could you could figure it out. And Nikhil Harry, who's been a major problem, I mean, they need they just need any receiver that can make a play, and they just don't have one. And so their margin for error is going to be thin. And I think this Broncos team and their defense, and now that they got some players back on offense, is going to be very dangerous. Their defense has been good all year. The people who came into this game thinking that this was a crazy mismatch, they haven't watched the Broncos. I really don't think so because this Broncos team is pretty good. Or I think they will be good. I think it's notable that like, if you're the Patriots, and you're right, they're O-line dependent. Shaq Mason is leaving the game with a calf injury. James Ferenc, the son of Kirk Ferenc, the Iowa coach who was already your backup center, is was tossed onto the COVID list. The team's not practiced. I mean, Julian Edelman has completely disappeared from this offense outside of the Seattle game. He had eight yards today. Uh, it just seems Mason's like a, on the COVID list. They lost three more COVID list guys on Saturday alone. How many offensive linemen are even capable in that situation to step in? So, I mean, you know, their their wizard offense assistant coach is no longer part of the mix. So you can't be spinning the magic on the Patriots offensive line in 2020. Left you Any breathless with that comment. Any other what? thoughts? Watch out for these. Uh, watch out for Wes's Broncos. What are the, what are the weirdest stats? Fangio. The weirdest stats. Fangio. Uh, the Bucks. I mean, the Broncos did not punt until the fourth quarter of this game, but did not have a touchdown. How many times well, has that happened in well, NFL history? How many times has a team gone out in their first six <laughs> drives? You mentioned he had six field goals, but they opened the game with six field goals. You, yeah. It's not a scoregami, but I can't imagine that's happening more than once a year. Eight, once a, eight once a quarterback day. hits, six tackles for loss, six passes defense, four sacks, three forced fumbles. I mean, they ate him up. Bradley Chubb is is back. Got to got to score touchdowns in our league, though. It yeah. worked this. It worked today. But all right, let's move on. Our league. is out of the shotgun. Here they come. He's going to back to throw. Steps up in the pocket. Lost it over the middle. Julian Blackman, and he's tripped up at the 22-yard line. He's down there, and the Colts have a takeaway and interception by the rookie. Julian Blackman, 39 seconds to go, and the Colts are going to win the ball game. Matt Taylor, WFNI with the call. Don't throw it there, kid. Don't throw it there. The Colts defense tightened up after an ugly start, and Philip Rivers delivered a much-needed vintage performance that's getting tossed around a lot calling an old quarterback who has a good day say oh vintage performance getting a lot of that lately (laughs) a lot of vintage I mean I'm writing it a lot 
I need to tone it down personally. How about this but show? We're having a vintage show right now. We've been around long enough. We're a veteran. <laughs> in terms of podcast years, we're like, you know, we're a big time veteran having a vintage show. Anyway, yes, Rivers uh, played extremely well in this game. 31-27 win over the Bengals at Lucas Oil Stadium. Bengals have no idea how to close out games under Zach Taylor. And if we're going to kill Matt Patricia for that, maybe we should kill this guy too. Anyway, uh, Cincinnati was up 21 nothing early in the second quarter, and I started seeing those stupid tweets again. It's like, oh, right now the Bengals have a 92.6% chance of winning the game. I don't care. <laughs> doesn't matter. It doesn't apply to sports. Just play the game out. <laughs> doesn't matter. It means nothing. Anyway, the Rivers got hot. And I mean nuclear hot uh, in the second quarter. These were his numbers in one quarter of play. 14 for 21, 234 yards, two touchdowns. And that ate into the three-touchdown lead. And it was strange uh, because... The game felt like it was never in doubt. Like the Colts, even though they stayed Cincinnati close, and Rivers also delivered a vintage interception late in the fourth quarter that gave life back to Cincinnati, but they couldn't do anything with it, ending with the Burrow pick. Uh, but for a team to jump out to a 21 nothing lead and then just in, basically in slow motion lose the game after that, uh, it's got to be frustrating uh, if you're a Cincinnati fan. And, Wes, I know there are many of them in the uh, West uh, West Cincinnati area, uh, seeing that game slip away. But a, a nice comeback for the Colts. And more importantly, getting the performance from Phil Rivers that you really wanted to see. And he makes Frank Reich look good because when people like me and, and uh, beat guys are questioning Reich after last week's performance against the Browns, uh, and Reich said, you know, quarterback's the least of my problems well it literally was the least of his problems in this game yeah I think Philip Rivers is one of the most misread players in the NFL this year he Mm. does come with his challenges um, and I think he and Frank Reich are still figuring each other out a a situation exacerbated by all those injuries there where you lose Pittman you lose Campbell today you lose Mo Cox guys who really help out in the red zone where Philip Rivers struggles right now but but credit like you said, Dan, he was he was on the mark today, and um, by and large, he's moved this offense up and down the field this year. They just have to get used to how they're going to balance it, figure out whether they're a run team or a pass team. Uh, and Rivers, um, he's sort of the flip side of the coin to Drew Brees. I'd rather have Rivers right now than Brees. I'd wow. rather have the quarterback who thinks his arm is better than it is than one who has no confidence in his arm, really. Hmm. And and Rivers is going to keep taking chances. He's always taking chances. There's just more throws he can't make now that he thinks he can make. I'm looking forward to watching this closer, but to me there's there's some big-time concerns. I mean, the Colts, I never thought they were the number one defense in the league, um, and so I think that idea has gone away the last two weeks. A good defense is, is good, but doesn't you know it only means so much in the NFL. Their running game has been bad all year. Jonathan Taylor does not – Look ready. They didn't have much of a running game today. And then T.Y. Hilton with 11 yards on five targets. A whole lot of other receivers step up, and maybe they don't need T.Y. Hilton to, to be super productive. But that's disappointing, and it's it's surprising. In T.Y. Hilton's defense, he had a really nice touchdown taken away by penalty, and then a huge gainer also wiped out by penalty. Feels like so he's he had, had a lot of bad luck, to be fair, this season. Yeah, he, he had two impact plays wiped out. But, yeah, he hasn't found a role in this offense. And on the – subject of veteran receivers uh 
in the twilight. Um, we'll give a little love to AJ Green, who was a punching bag uh, this week after uh, that video of his effort level on the Burrow pick against the Ravens. The he video actually, tweeted tweeted by you. Right, but okay. he earned it, and I wasn't the only one. Uh, but it looks like he up, and Greg was like, oh, but his hamstring, it was fine. It was always fine, and he was fine today. In fact, I mean, he left the game. He stopped playing, and they called it a hamstring Oh, he stopped injury. playing, all right. He stopped playing when he was still on the field on that interception. But anyway, I just want to make the point that for the first time, Burrow and Green was a thing, eight for 96 on, I believe, 10 targets. Mm. So, you know, that's what you kind of were hoping. The whole idea of the A.J. Green experience with Joe Burrow was that he would kind of be like what Larry Fitzgerald is for Kyler Murray. And, Wes, it had it had been nothing like that. So that was a positive sign for the Bengals in an otherwise frustrating day. Look, I don't think like Bengals fans, to me, what an encouraging day. Um, I thought that's how discouraging last week was that, it had been a while since I saw a defensive coordinator take apart a rookie quarterback like Wink Martindale did Joe Burrow last week. He's supposed to be unflappable. That's supposed to be his number one trait, and he was the least thing from it. He was crumbling under pressure every single series. One of the worst physical beatdowns I've seen from an offense um, defense pr- perspective, and to come back today off the mat like that and to get help from A.J. Green – to me, just to be able to move the ball up and down the field, that's how discouraging last week was. So at least, at least look for signs of progress there, and Joe Burrow is not ruined. I, that does, I, I am a little concerned about my Zach Taylor Coach of the Year uh, <laughs> prediction. It feels like we're off to a little slow, bit of a slower start than, than needed. Well, yeah, we, like I said, we killed Patricia for the same thing, but the Bengals are now 1-11-1 in one-score games. They've been in every game this year Taylor. except for last week. The Bengals are now 1-11-1 in one-score games this year. So they're competitive almost every week, but they can't get over the hump. Let's move on. Went to keep it on a read option, and the Ravens stop him at the three-yard line. The defense comes up big. L.J. Ford and Matt Judon blow up the read option. Jerry Sandusky with the call, WBAL. Yeah, that was the two-point try by the Eagles, who had a chance to come back and tie the game against the Ravens late. Uh, but the tackle by Judon and L.J. Ford with 155 to play allows the Ravens to escape to, uh, with a 30-28 to win over the Eagles. And Baltimore is now 5-1. and one. Greg, I stopped even glancing at this game after the Lamar touchdown that made it 24-6. What happened from that point on? I was stunned to see the final score and that it actually came down to one play. It felt like the, the announcers, the Ravens coaches, everyone stopped like paying attention to this game. It, the, there was a long discussion of taking Carson Wentz out because he, you, know, you don't want him to get hurt. Um, because it was like Thursday night football is coming up. And then suddenly, despite the fact that the, the Ravens, like, still kept forcing turnovers, uh, the Eagles scored 22 in the fourth quarter. Um, some of them was, some of it was luck. Some of it was crazy. You got, you got the full Wentz experience. Receivers killing him with drops. The offensive line totally falling apart and having more injuries. Wentz, making terrible throws and then it's you know interceptions returned by penalties and then amazing throws and then just throws where he just throws it up in the air and on fourth down and you get it but ultimately I you know it's amazing that he got them to that position because by the end of the game 
they were down to two of their original starters from the offseason. Because Zach, Zach Ertz left this game and Miles Sanders left this game too. And Jack Driscoll, who was starting at right tackle, by the way, also left this game. And so they were just down to Kelsey and Wentz. And here it is in a game where they look terrible. I, this was kind of a game I think whatever you came into it thinking about either team, you could come out of it thinking that. Like, any positive or negative you want to see, you can see it. Because the Ravens, they should have won in this game so easily, and they just sort of let their foot off the gas. Uh, but the Eagles, you know, it's like they you got to give them some credit for sticking in there. It's like almost their entire offensive line is, is banged up or missing. Wentz has been sacked 25 times, which is the 14th most in NFL history through four games. I mean, that's absurd. And I saw that Mark Ingram left this game, too. This seems like this was a rough-and-tumble back-alley fight. And yeah. On the subject of Wentz being so up and down, I was checking out the Football Night in America pregame show before we started, and Chris Sims and Tony Dungy did a nice job diagnosing that final two-point conversion, and they completely called out Carson Wentz for, as a quarterback, he should have been able to read the Baltimore what the Baltimore defense was showing and check out of the read option play that had no chance of working, and he didn't, and it led to, uh, you know, their demise. So, yeah, Wentz, you know, the difference between Wentz this year and last year is that last year he was the guy, the steadying force that kept everybody above water, uh, and they asked so much of him, and he delivered. This year, when they need him to be kind of perfect again, he's just, he's not, and he's imperfect, and he's making mistakes, and I can't speak too much more on the game, Greg, because I haven't checked it out yet, but that it's week after week that these mistakes kill them. Right. If the if the Ravens offensive last year had been here, this thing would have been 45 to 7. I mean, the Eagles got through their first six drives without a first down. 5 3 and outs and a fumble. <laughs> and a loss and a lost fumble. <laughs> it was very similar to the Bengals Ravens game where the Eagles defensive line controlled things against the Ravens offensive line. And that's what I mean about like whatever you came into this game, you could leave it you know, with it, if you're a Lamar optimist like me, you could say, well, you know, he hit a couple of really nice third and longs and he ran for over 100 yards on scrambles on a bad day. You know, you still put up 30 points like that's pretty good. On the other hand, like their running backs got absolutely nothing. Uh, they punted way, way more than you would ever expect. Like when they're getting amazing field position at the end of the game a couple times to just put it away, it's like they go three and out and kick a 55 yarder with Tucker, which, you know, you know, great for Tucker, but it just they they've been uneven. Go. That's been consistent, but their defense, to, to be fair, has been so difference making um, that that's enough. Calais Campbell today had three sacks on his own, four tackles for loss, four Ooh. QB hits. I mean, he has been like the pickup uh, of the offseason. Who would have cool known player. that would have worked out for Baltimore? <laughs> <laughs> right. it's um, time for uh, it's time for the ringer to do comparison uh, between Carson Wentz and like uh, junior high friendship patterns. Got a new best friend every week. I've never seen a quarterback like this where he takes guys like Travis Fulgham, who can clearly play, and yep. just like focuses only on him for a two week period, or Greg Ward Jr. for a two week two week period, or Dallas Goddard. Just goes from one guy to the next, and it feels like he's only ever got that one go to guy he trusts. I mean, how middle school of him, <laughs> right? And like, in in his defense, Miles Sanders drops a touchdown. 
Uh, Hightower on the very first Wentz throw of the game could have been an 85-yard touchdown, just dropped it, was right in the breadbasket. So it's like, it's it's been a comedy of errors. I think their defense is, has enough people that if they somehow got healthier, they could matter in this terrible NFC East. But uh, what's the point? If anybody wants to enjoy some great cringeworthy memories of what it was like to be a teenager in high school, I highly recommend Pen15 on Hulu. That's my random television recommendation. Ooh. Ricky uh, loves that, that show, enough, too. I, I know the show. Yeah. Ricky loves that one. Ricky, that's that's a great one. It is absolutely comedic genius. And my and wife... Fact, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say, my wife is obviously once a teenage girl. It even connects more with her. She's like, this is exactly what it was. And I'm like, Oh, what? my God. Insane. <laughs> insane. But the, the best thing is, is that they're in seventh grade, and it's two adult women playing themselves as seventh graders but they casted regular seventh graders for the rest of the cast so it's these 30 year old women like acting like middle schoolers with real middle like it it is it is genius that's why there's no kissing scenes in the show um all right let's move on there's the snap matthew wants to throw does end zone caught touchdown detroit lions tj hawkinson and the lions add to their lead Oh, they deserve the bongos today, because you know why? A complete effort by the Detroit Lions today. A complete effort. I won't go. Uh, We haven't seen one of those yet. Uh, Matthew Stafford connected on a score to TJ Hawkinson, as you heard. DeAndre Swift announced his arrival in that backfield with 116 yards and two scores. 34-16 win over the Jaguars, who are... And once again, to quote Tom Petty, free falling out into nothing. Greg, this is the kind of game Matt Patricia needed to crank down his butt temperature. You know what I mean, bro. I do. I mean, it's funny that the Lions came out in this game and they played like Matt Patricia was their favorite guy on earth. Because there is a kind of a unfair way that the media treats these situations, which is if the Lions came out and they were flat, we would be like, they hate their coach. Well, if we're going to read into it that much, like they love Matt Patricia because their defense came out and they were just flying all over the field. They were they were hitting the Jaguars. They were making the Jaguars look terrible, who could not move the ball at all early in this game. I was like, what? You know, to use Mark's word, bath salts are are they on in this? I don't know. It's just like the energy. <laughs> They're was embroiled there. in bath salts. It, it was they were embro- <laughs> like the the energy Been there was before. absolutely there. It it felt like you could make a Sessler call early, even though it's the Lions, and I know they blow leads every time. It was just like they are not look, losing this game. Their defense just cooked up Minshew in the brain with the different zone looks that they were doing, and and everyone played better. the The Lions' offense wasn't even that good, and and the Jaguars made this look closer than it was. The, the Lions defense did all the work that they needed to do. Two and four. You know, they're two and three. They're not that done. Because they had that bye week, it feels like their season's been worse. I feel like the Lions, but it's like two and three. You're not You're not out of it, Lions. No one's buying this? Well, I mean, I feel like I, I went through my period where I was getting <laughs> real hot on the Lions, and I was um, unmasked for that um, on this show appropriately, and I'm going to wait another week. But it is nice for the team to break out of its identity, which is like, we're going to kind of reel you in with an early lead and then completely embarrass you and ourselves. I mean, this you clo- to close the game, I like the way you phrase that, Dan. Like they, they've, they've done something a little different this time. 
And, and Minshew looks a little worse every week. I'm getting a little concerned. His deep ball's a problem. I mean, it hangs yeah. up there like like Philip Rivers throwing it now, except, you know, Minshew's 23. And he, he had a couple in this game. One where he had a completion, but the guy had to slow up so much for it, like they ended up not scoring on that drive. And then another interception where he just doesn't have, he doesn't have that I mean, deep ball. He's probably playing himself out of a job because there's going to be four or five, you know, quarterbacks taken like they are every year. Every year, and he have to, against all odds, have been something more than we've seen uh, up to this point. He's he's a weird mix of um, skill sets. Um, holds the ball longer than you'd think. Checks down too much. Um, super accurate intermediate passer who, like Greg says, major issues on deep balls. And when I watch him, feels like. Um, a savvy backyard athlete, you know, moving up to a higher neighborhood level where mm-hmm. he can't keep up with guys like Deshaun Watson physically. I see him as like an evolutionary Ryan Fitzpatrick where he's going to end up playing yeah. for 14 teams. Sure. Start sure. for That would be a great result. Yeah. Well, maybe not at the level of Fitzpatrick in terms of the putting up numbers and and having this level of longevity, but like I could see him winning a big Thanksgiving Day game in 2030 as someone's backup pressed into action. <laughs> like he, like he's going to pop up here and there for years. I just don't know if he's their long term guy. That's the um, first time we've all agreed on Gardner, Gardner Minshew. We did it, and <laughs> I, and DeAndre Swift, yeah. first Lions rookie with 100 go. plus rushing yards and two touchdowns in a game since some guy named Barry Sanders in 1989. Maybe mm. it's time. And I know Ricky has sandwiches on the line with Adrian Peterson. Maybe it's time to seed the backfield in mm. uh, totality to the kid and not the progress stopper. I think yeah. that's what they wanted to do in the summer, and then it just didn't pan out, and he got in- he had injury issues, and he had that awful week one moment, and then the offensive coordinator fell in love with Adrian Peterson again. He hit two big plays, but he actually didn't play any different in terms of the amount of snaps in this game. Well, so I, ho- I hope that they start playing more. No, no. I mean, he hit big plays, and he had a bunch of carries at the end because of the game, because of the score. Uh, but I hope they see this, and they see him. And then Galladay, who I didn't think looked himself uh, before the bye, who was coming off a hamstring injury, he's got some juice. I mean, this offense needs juice. And so Swift, Galladay, all right, there's there's two juicy guys. Give it, and, give it to And let's more. get Hawkinson to play like the number eight overall pick in the draft there's room for for internal growth potential with this offense just based on the guys we're throwing out there swift and hawkinson and and galladay speaking of fitz magic back to throw fitzpatrick throws it touchdown smite throw smite his first touchdown of the year jimmy cephalo wqan with the call ryan fitzpatrick threw three short touchdown passes including the one you heard there to derm smythe it's Durham Smythe time, and the Dolphins coasted to a 24-zip to win over the Jets. It's Miami's first shutout of gangrene since the 1982 AFC Championship game. Wow. More, infa- more infamously known, Wes, as the... The Freeman McNeil game? Kind of. The Mud Bowl. Mark, this oh. one wasn't pretty, but Wes is right. We'll put a button on that one later. Mark, this one wasn't pretty. But the Dolphins are above 500, and you know what? They're ahead of the Pats in the AFC East. Right. I mean, this is one of those games that got reshuffled because of Corona. And the Dolphins, uh, you know, it might be easy for people not watching these games to say, you've just smacked the Niners and taken care of a bad Jets team. What are the Dolphins? I see a team that's getting to the quarterback better than they did last year. They have a little bit of a little bit of energy with their pass rush. I mean, it's it's hard to measure that. 
this week against the Jets. I think we say that every week. What, what are you looking at with the team that plays New York? But Miami, after that early you know, scoring flurry, the, these two teams combined, and I, I'm trying to think if, if, I've, if I've seen this before, to go 0 for 19 on third downs um, before the Jets finally <laughs> converted their 20th, of the game's 20th third down attempt, and it looked like the Jets Wait, were going to maybe... Mark, we have yeah. that. I, I asked Ricky to pull sound of <laughs> uh, Fox calling that okay. third down conversion by my New York Jets. Ricky? All right. Third down and four. Flacco, pocket collapsing, hangs in there, and he completes it to Perriman. Our first third down conversion today. I thought they might stop the game for a moment. Take that ball. Send it to Canton. <laughs> Gibson. Good job. Good job, know, James Lofton. <laughs> here's the problem, though, Dan. Here's the problem. And, and that, yes, that's a oh, moment. There's a lot to, of problems. That's but. a moment to build off, I guess, if you're the Jets. But it's followed up by a 28-yard sack of Joe Flacco. Hey, it was okay, only 26, so, Mark. It was only 26. I believe it was 28. Oh, really? they, they, yeah, it was. And they, the Jets... Um, over the second and third quarter combined, um, two yards passing. So we get it. And I think that, you know, Dan, you, you started tweeting about this. And I think that the patience that I would have for this entire coaching staff needs to end as soon as possible. One of the things that can seems to be most consistent on a team with no consistent positive aspects of their offense, hideous penalty scenarios. I mean, they are a, they are awful with the flags, but it's not just that. It's the personal fouls. They had another three of them today. One or two of them completely egregious and unnecessary. And that's, I don't think, that's there's a little bit of Greg Williams' DNA in there, I'm sure. But it just seems like a team that is devolving in terms of their interest in these games. And I, I think to make a change at this point now is not just like, hey, it's a luxury. It seems completely urgent to keep, I think, players safe, to keep players engaged um, in what is still a very long season to go during a really thorny corona scenario right in smack dab in the tri-state area. Wes, uh, headlock watch is on in earnest right now with the Jets before the game, Fox. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Welcome back. Yeah, and Fox is straining for the high notes on this, and I'll explain why in a second. But at one se- at one point, they showed Gase and Greg Williams both with their masks on, and it looked like Gase was giving Greg Williams a mouthful um, after Greg Williams and his presser um, earlier this week basically hinted very clearly that the defensive struggles this year can be put on the offense on some part and in some part. And um, so this is, this is going to happen, Wes. I think the only thing for Jets fans, the only thing that they to give Jets fans, at least those two guys fighting to the death would be something fun. And on the subject of, of death, not literal death, you got to fire these guys. You you can't you can't keep doing this. And I know when I say that on Twitter now I have Jet fans that are like no, you got you don't get it. This is all on purpose because they want Trevor Nothing's Lawrence. They want to go 0 and 16. No, no, no. That's not that's not how it works because you owe it as an organization to have some sense of level of dignity to when something clearly isn't working and you are the laughing stock of football and it's getting worse and worse. And like Mark's saying, it's devolving to the point where people can get hurt and it's just uh, you're not even competitive. You need to make the move just to be 
uh, organization that is seen from the outside that has some idea of what's going on in the world right now. And they, and then they, if they keep Adam Gase employed, he should be fired right now. And I kind of thought he might. Uh, when it, he might, he be, might be fired by the time, time you hear this. Hear this, yeah. And frankly, yep. that's too late. There's no way you should keep Gase through the end of the season, and you can't keep Greg Williams either. You got to get them both out of there and promote from within to just to get through this hellscape of a season. But you, enough is enough. You cannot keep these guys in the building. You can't keep Adam Gase as the face of your organization any longer. You can't do it. You got Greg Williams as the biggest face of negative energy on the defensive side of the ball in the NFL over the past decade. And Adam Gase is now becoming the biggest face of negative energy on the offensive side of the ball over the past decade in the NFL. Get him out! I mean, you need both of them out of there. They're poison right now. They are poisoning mm-hmm. your organization, and people don't need to come to work in that negative energy every day. This is a rivalry game? or You know, it was a rivalry. I mean, the teams haven't been good for a while, but uh, Dolphins fans got to love... The idea that Adam Gase comes back and that his career, you know, maybe ends in Miami against Gailey and Fitzpatrick. It's all very this strange AFC East Jets Dolphins thing. It's like very, it's very like how many more games would the Jets have won over the last five years if they just kept Gailey and Fitzpatrick? Probably a few more. I, mean, I love I, I, I love one, the I love the sordid underbelly of the AFC East. It's so bad. one little thing because this can't get lost in all the Jets stuff is. There was no cooler sight than Tua, yes. who came in at the end, completed his first pass, completed his second, and you know they were just they were just milking out the clock. But then after the game, you know the fa- there's no fans there, so this is easy. Tua came out and just sat on the 15 yard line alone in a totally empty stadium in his uniform and FaceTime his parents who were at the game because you know. We know what he's been through to get to this point. Um, a sunny aspect to what was a really one of the gloomier football games I've watched in a while. That's awesome. And like Fitzpatrick on the sideline, because there was like 10,000 people in the building, raising his arms in the air, trying to get the crowd to be louder when Tua came in the game. <laughs> when you're winning 24 nothing, and the, the organization is going in the right direction and you have the exact right veteran quarterback to be involved in that situation – uh, Brian Flores uh, and the Brain Trust there are doing something right. Now you just need Tua to be able to play once he gets in there because you know who we know can play, Justin Herbert, who the Dolphins Ooh. didn't pick. Um, all right, this is the handoff. Speaking of handoff, Freeman McNeil, you were right, Wes. 1982 AFC Championship game, Jets-Dolphins, Don Shula. I had a dirty move, but also you got to give him respect. Freeman McNeil was the best running back in the league or right there at the time. He ran the Bengals was- over. It was a rainy, rainy weekend in Miami uh, at the Orange Bowl, and Shula told the grounds crew to keep the tarp off the field overnight because they wanted a wet track and they didn't want Freeman McNeil to be able to get going. And when they did that, Richard Todd, the Jets quarterback, threw two pick sixes, I believe, uh, to A.J. Dewey. Bound to happen. Well, I do remember A.J. Dewey. Mark remembers him always playing with the shirt tail out. Batting right. down passes all the time. He was a, he was a monster. So Richard Mud Bowl, Todd was the first football card I ever had, by the way. <laughs> Mud Bowl, Freeman McNeil game, A.J. Dewey game. Anyway, it was 14 nothing Dolphins to the Super Bowl. All right, here we go. Chris Wessling, looking good, sounding good. We love you, brother. Now another handsome, bald, white man will take your spot. <laughs> it's great to be back. Thanks, guys. Thanks, for having Wes. What's up, Shook? Hey. U.S. Let's uh, let's keep rolling. Ryan stepping up. Matt thought about it. Now gives ground. Going to flip it down the field. It's caught Jones. Julio 10-5. Touchdown Atlanta. Amazing. 
Y'all, you hear it in West Durham's voice, WZGC. GC, good call. They needed this. <laughs> the Falcons are officially youngry. We have a youngry alert. Falcons are youngry as hell under interim coach Raheem Morris. Matt Ryan threw for 380 and four touches, including that 40-yard stroke to Julio Jones, Julio Jones. And the Falcons crushed the flatlining Vikings 40-23 to for their first win. Uh, shook. The Falcons have taken big leads on their opponents all season, it feels like, but this time they actually held on to it. Yeah, they held on to it, and it was powered by their defense, which you, if you're a fan of Dan Quinn, you wish that would have happened, oh, I don't know, any of the times in the last five weeks they've played a game, especially <laughs> in the second half when you had leads in those games and just needed a turnover and maybe a substantial drive to put away one of those games. No, it happens the week after Dan Quinn gets fired, which adds the Falcons to an esteemed group that also includes the Houston Texans, who won their first game following mm-hmm. the firing of their head coach this year. But it was a game that you know the, the defense got turnovers early and the Falcons produced points off of it, notably getting a field goal in just before halftime to build a 20 to nothing lead going into halftime and really uh, having the Vikings uh, in in a bind that they just couldn't get out of. And then, you know, for the majority of this year, the Falcons have had a pretty strong offense. Now people wanted Matt Ryan traded after last week or, or wanted people to dive into their salary cap to figure out how they could trade him, which would be a gigantic financial albatross and is really not feasible. And luckily for him, he came out and proved all those doubters wrong and went out yeah. there and had a great game, 30 of 40 passing, 371 yards, four touchdowns, and a passer rating that makes Greg Rosenthal dance, 136.6. A good game. Greg doesn't uh, believe in that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's an, it's an antiquated stat. I know it is, but uh, we use it anyways. Um, in their first victory of the season, finally getting off the schneid. One in five is better than 0 and 6, but it's still one in five. Well, they, I felt like they were really good. They were too good to be 0 5. So I just like it when, like, the football universe corrects things. Like, it, for instance, DVOA, they were better than about seven teams. Like, they, they returned, they have in the last two weeks returned all five of their, or five out of their, you know, six top defensive backs. It's like players do matter. Like, it, it does matter when you get five starters back. Uh, but you got to give Raheem Morris a little chance here to go on a wild run and win coach Young of the year. Well, and I would say that? this. You're Raheem Morris, and you have to go into a game where both of your defensive line coaches did not join the team due to Corona scare. So you're, I mean, that's a whole position. That sounds like something we would just brush off and be like, they'll be fine. But that completely changes your process during that day. Um, let's listen to Kirk Cousins, who <laughs> was obviously uh, had a nightmare game, cleaned it up with some meaningless scores, but still was a major problem. See what Cousins had to say after the game. The reality is if, if the pace, you know, that I'm on in terms of the interceptions, if that were to continue, uh, you know, I I won't finish the season. I won't, you know what I mean? So uh, there's a little bit of, you know, you got to improve, whether it's, you know, you know, them telling me, hey, we got to improve or or them pulling me. You got to get better. And Mm. That's the fifth time in his career he's had at least three interceptions. Two of those five games have come this season. It happened in week two in Indianapolis. And Cousins has been a major problem. But you talked about I talked about in the preview episode on Thursday, Shook, that coming off that stomach punch loss Sunday night to the Seahawks, you kind of could see this going either way, where they were either gonna kind of build off the positives from that and have some sense of um, you know, 
understanding the moment that this is our last chance to get our season back on track or they were going to flatline. And I, I, that's what it seems like based on final score and Kirk Cousins tone after the game. Well, not having Dalvin Cook definitely didn't do them any favors, but neither did the deficit that they built very early on. It kind of took away the running game. And if you look at their statistics, you know, Alexander Madison led them in rushing with 10 carries for 26 yards. I mean, it was non-existent. It was basically all on the shoulders of Kirk Cousins and, Let's face it, when you're a football team that wants to win in the NFL, you more often than not don't want to put the game on the guy that you guarantee, fully guaranteed his contract. Even though you did fully guarantee his contract, that's not the guy that you want to necessarily put out there to lead you to a comeback victory at home or on the road, coronavirus or not, you know? Uh, and, and so when they're in, when they're in that situation, it's an uphill climb and he just made it worse. I mean, and, mm. and you think back to last week and that loss that they suffered against, uh, the, the Seahawks and, that was a team that was competitive. That was a team that was in a game. That was a team that was resilient. I mean, they came back from, they had this huge lead. They give up the lead. They go behind. They come back. They take the lead. You're like, wow, these guys are some fighters. They were not fighters at all today. And I think you're right, Dan. Last week might have been that point where you followed up with a game like this and things could really go off the rails pretty quickly. Mm. All right. Speaking of um, things that have gone off the rails, here's a recap of Washington at New York Giants. <laughs> <laughs> Transition. Allen calls out signal. Youngry. Bring back Youngry. He's running. Looking to run now. Stops. Now under pressure. He just throws it in the end zone. Incomplete. So the Giants stop him on the two-pointer. The SS Riverboat Ron sank in the swamps of Jersey. The Washington football team opted to go for two, down one point in the final seconds against the Giants, but Kyle Allen's pass fell incomplete. 2019, Giants win. Same score, Super Bowl 25. Mark, I know you remember that one. Uh, it is their first win of 2020. The first win for Joe Judge as an NFL coach. Shook, we seem to see the, this decision pop up every year. I feel like it's it happens every year at exactly October 18th also. I don't know why. Uh, where where do you stand on the two point attempt when the PAT assures you OT? I mean, it depends on how much confidence you have, and considering the where fact do you that stand, Shook? Shook. Where do you stand, Shook? Considering the fact that Ron Rivera turned to Kyle Allen with some significant confidence, at least compared to Dwayne Haskins, I stand on going for the win, of course. Okay. And then if it fails, you have to own it. Let's be aggressive. I mean, if I was in that situation, I'd probably kick the extra point because Kyle Allen basically fumbled the game away, a possession earlier, and then led them on this drive down the field in the final minutes. They score with a little over 30 seconds left, and suddenly you're thinking, maybe I'll tweet, you know, jokingly and also not jokingly, legacy drive, Kyle Allen, redemption! And then he rolls out left and Mm. the ball flutters out of his hand. I mean, this was in Mark Rippian, 1992, behind center. You're you're putting Uh, a lot uh, on the shoulders of uh, Kyle Allen. That's a nice little jab at Mark. And and in Mark's defense, I will say New York officially has a win this season. Mm. Uh, It wasn't on the part of the Giants. It was the first win for it. Or it wasn't the part of the Giants. It was the first win for the city of New York. Well, Uh, Shook. well, well no, fans, in the, fans in uh, Western New York will tell you that they New York has won many games this year, and the Jets and Giants don't actually play in blah, blah, blah. Don't care. Go on, Mark. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, this probably would be one of those games that um, forget the condensed mode. I'm just going to watch the full broadcast of this and just marinate in it for three and a half to four hours. But I do think that the Giants <laughs> defense has shown something the last couple of weeks. Guys like Kyle Fackrell, 
uh, who is a real human being, like he has produced week after week. Am I overrating yes, that? Uh, well, no, I think that's their like, defense has improved a ton. They're average, it, and they it, were one of the worst. Right, like, that's still what does that mean for years in a row for a, for a good reason? But I mean, if there's something to point to along with the victory, I mean, it's it's been pretty consistent. They mm. shooky though. Don't you got to know your team, Ron Rivera? You you're going up against uh, a Giants offense. That stinks that your best player, your best play is Daniel, Daniel Jones running for 74 yards. They don't have it. They don't have any offense. Otherwise, you're a defensive team. The, the, the Labra Ville Magnifico for this entire Washington season to me was Ron Rivera's answer, uh, for why he didn't take timeouts, uh, earlier this season when he said, well, you, you know, you don't want to get players hurt. It's like, I don't know. That's all I needed to know about this Washington season. I just think he wanted to end this game. He didn't want anyone getting hurt in overtime. Yeah. I mean, it was an ugly game, but the Giants were able to take the lead on a Tay Crowder fumble return for a touchdown. Now I, I would guess that 95% of football fans and most residing outside of New York City or wherever in Jersey they are, depending on who you ask. Yeah, yeah. But depending on who you ask, (laughs) didn't know who Tay Crowder was. I mean, this is like you said, know your team. Go for the tie. Expect them to make a mistake. It's a battle of two bad football teams. I understand wanting mercy and wanting to get off the field. But at this point in the season, we're not even near the halfway point yet. Go to overtime and try it to play for the victory. It was good for you, Chuck. You didn't want to cover this game in overtime, so it was good for you. I mean, <laughs> it, it made for an easier transition for sure. This is how you get to uh, the Meadowlands from New York. You get on the Garden State, and you're southbound. Take it down to exit 153. Get off there. Get on Route 3. That will lead you right into the stadium. You could also get off at 163, or you can hop on Route 17. You have a lot of different options, but none of them are in New York. You know what's wild about that area? When you're taking the highway, all you see is in the distance these like just dilapidated, abandoned buildings that might have been hotels or casino hotel combos in the past. And there's just meadows around, a little bit of swampland. You hit the exit, you come around, you think the bus might go off if you're on a team bus like I was with the Browns. And then you pull in, you cross through the parking lot. And you see scores of Jets fans all flipping you the bird at the same time. <laughs> that sounds like a Springsteen song you just uh, <laughs> gave us there, Shooky. All right. Uh, let us. Oh, by the way, uh, our boy Crowder, Tay Crowder. Uh, did anyone mention he was Mr. Irrelevant? Oh, no. no. Well, he was not so irrelevant anymore, people, to Sunday Night Football. for the touchdown. Brandon Staley calls for the blitz and gets burned on a 44-yard fourth down pass. How about that? Jimmy G, a week ago, pulled from the game, limping around, can't make a throw. Well, he made three touchdown throws on Sunday night football, leading the 49ers to a 24-16 win over the Rams, the Niners, Get back to 503 and three. And Mark, you know, it's cliche to say the NFL is a week to week league, (laughs) but it really is. And the Niners are the best example of that uh, in this music. Super distracting for some reason. I don't know if it's the violins or the entire instrumental uh, orchestra. Anyway, Mark, the. 
uh, week-to-week nature of the NFL. The Niners look totally lost, 43-17. In this game, Garoppolo looks healthy. He's making big throws, and the defense really played well against the Rams. Yeah, and, I, and they mentioned it on the on the broadcast a number of times, but I think we talked about in our preview show that poor individual Brian Allen, who was just utterly flamed by Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Dolphins a week ago, a practice squad cover guy. It helped a lot to get Jason Verrett played well. You get Emmanuel Mosley back. They just had their secondary a little bit more locked down. But from the week-to-week nature of Jimmy G, and it made me think, like, watching this, like, I get, I get it. Our role is to come in and completely react to the most recent sample size of information that we have. And it's a big reaction. And, and last week, it's, is Jimmy G starting material X, Y, and Z? But even tonight, there was a little microcosm where, you know, they were stuck. They were, it was like four straight punts to open the game. And you see Jimmy G and it reminded me of that Baker Mayfield throw misfire to Odell Beckham earlier in the year where he just missed a completely wide open Kyle Hughes check. But he comes back and he converts with George Kittle. And then he has that, you know, he's hurt ankle. He runs into complete danger on a scramble to set up a fourth down field goal that made it 24 to nine. There's some good. There's some bad. There's some missing plays. There's some courage that's going to win his teammates over. They did enough tonight. They're still really banged up. They lost Trent Williams. We don't know what's going on with that. Raheem Mostert was on the sideline. Oh, did he come back? All right. And Mostert was banged up for most of this game. So it's a still really rough and tumble roster with a rugged schedule coming up, but a gutsy win against a Rams team that hasn't beaten them three in a row now. It's, but so different when they are healthy and they are healthier by a lot. So Debo Samuel has been on the field a couple of weeks. First week, he was not really Debo Samuel. Last week, he was getting there. And now you can see it. I mean, he he set the tone early. Like, it just reminds you of the 49ers from a year ago, a creative running game. And Kittle making huge plays on third or fourth down. Uh, and Mostert, even though he sat most of the second half, he lit him up in the first half. And that's pretty much all the offense uh, the 49ers needed. Like, it just – it was a Kyle Shanahan game because Jimmy G didn't blow you away. And at one point he was 13 for 14 for 199. And it wasn't like he did anything out of um, character or had to make any crazy throws. Uh, they, they just won up front. They protected like everything that you were worried about. If you're a 49ers fan coming into this game, you, you got rid of it and you, you kind of like mind tricked Sean McVay too. It's like they went away from some things. Uh, I don't know. They, they have to feel really good to sort of own the Rams. Yeah, I think as much as this is a, a Kyle Shanahan game, it was also a bit of a Robert Sala game because San Francisco's defense did a good job at, at bottling up uh, a, an offense that had shown in recent weeks that it could get out to a hot start. Nah. There were there's at least two occasions this season in which Jared Goff not 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 fa- not frazzled here not frazzled uh, Jared Goff uh, started the game perfectly or or almost perfectly on two occasions this season. That was not the guy today. I mean, I mean from the from the start he had troubles now. You know, they went down the field with a nice touchdown drive and, a, and an excellent pass to Robert Woods. But for the most part, they could never really get into a rhythm. So for as much as they touted on the broadcast, this is the matchup of two offensive masterminds. There was really only one offense that looked mm. the part tonight. And, I, you know, if you're a Rams fan, you're not too concerned, I guess, because you don't really know what this team is so far. I don't really think we have a huge barometer for them or haven't really gotten a good litmus test for them so far. But um, this definitely wasn't their best showing offensively. And, and by the time they got it together late, it was too late. An annoying game if you're a Rams fan. Because this yeah. was there. This was certainly there for them. And the normally trusty combination, Jared Goff, 
to Cooper Cup. I thought that was a a big aspect of this game, their inability to get on the same page. Cup got behind the secondary in the second half for what could have been and should have been a touchdown, and Goff was a, maybe a touch late with a throw, and then Cup looked the long wrong way, got turned around incomplete. Uh, then a little bit later, the drop by Cup on a really well-thrown ball by Goff that then turns into an interception. I mean, just those two plays alone, we're talking about a totally different game. So I'm not panicking at all if I'm um, Sean McVay or the Rams. They're 4-2. and two. They're still in very good position. Uh, but this was a game that it probably should have been closer than it was, and maybe even you should have won this game. So you're just frustrated uh, by your inability to execute. Right. They, the, it was set up for a comeback in the second half. The Rams defense came out and, as Mark said, forced four straight punts and then a long field goal attempt. That's that's when you come that's when you come back in a game. And the goal line stand you mentioned, Cup contributed it to with a with a drop. But the play before that, Greenlaw makes an amazing play. It's like Dre Greenlaw only shows up to make like world changing plays uh, on the one yard line. And then uh, Verrett. Uh, makes a great interception. And Verrett, I'm glad they highlighted how good Verrett has been this year uh, because he's playing like a Pro Bowl. And Fred Warner, I'm glad they highlighted too because to me he is the best middle linebacker in football. And they've got enough stars on their team that they can make up make up for these injuries. I was I think- watching the uh, Verrett interception with Colton who called it, described it as an epic play, which I think is about as high a compliment as you can get from a, like a nine-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old. I like when uh, kids start dropping in their own slang words like uh, Jack has been taken to saying uh, things are sick lately. Like, oh, I guess you're turning into a little person now. How about that? Um, All right. Good stuff. It's almost midnight on the East Coast, and Adam Gay still has a job. I'm not thrilled. I was really hoping that I would be able to take out of tonight's episode and week six, the end of his reign of terror, but it looks like it will last for at least another night and potentially another couple months. It's also almost midnight and Nick has work in about four and a half hours. So thank you for hanging around. No, it's like eight hours, nine hours. No, I thought you were doing the old 5 a.m. shift on the West Coast. No. Is that, is your microphone shook like a R2-D2 or something Star Wars related? What is that? It's a, it's a blue snowball. Oh, okay. (laughs) I, I, don't know. Know. I got this off Amazon probably five years ago, and it, mm. it's worked pretty well for the most part. I know part. you're moving. Did you pack your actual microphone, and this one was just still out? Or this no, is this is the one I use for everything. Yeah. And somebody commented on last week's show that it sounded like I was in like some sort of metallic chamber. So <laughs> I don't know if that's my voice or the microphone or the fact maybe that we, it's very spacious we could, up maybe here. We, we know people. Maybe we could talk to the podcast, um, you know, get your mic. higher ups here. And see hey. if we can get you a mic expensed. Hey, n- new place to live, new microphone, upgrades all over. And Shook, we just so you know, we're not going to talk about the situation with your live-in girlfriend and whether you should be <laughs> right. proposing to her because she moved from California. <laughs> that wouldn't be right. Ohio, and you've already been dating uh, for four years. Moved from LA you, to Cleveland. She and now you're, pretty, yeah. oh yeah, and now you're, you know, getting a place together downtown. In Cleveland, uh, we're not even going to talk about that anymore on the sh- on the show, or at least not today. So, yeah, good for we're, you. we're definitely not leaving this topic out there to be discussed. No doubt. Uh, I'll no, say this: in, in in due time, and and by that I mean it's only a matter of time. It's not a question of if; it's just when. She moved to Cleveland for you, Shook, and loves it. 
Uh, I've never been to Cleveland, so I shouldn't say anything like that, Chuck. I would never disparage your love and uh, beloved town. All right. Good stuff. Thank you again, Chuck. Always. Connected with Wes right after the show uh, when we took our little break, and he is feeling good. And that was great to hear him in such high spirits today. So, yeah, that again. Greg, you nailed it. The biggest win of week six right there. We'll be back. Go ahead, Greg. You got the haircut, too. Yeah, the line of the night and the haircut. (laughs) (laughs) This is Dan Hansen signing off for the unshookable Nick Shook. We'll work on that. Yeah. Uh, The Quiet Storm, the old boss, the mailman, and Rick Hollywood behind the virtual glass. Until Tuesday. Go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.